Welcome everybody to another episode of Strife Sanctum. My name is Citizen Strife and this week we're back with Final Fantasy. Now I started the series of podcasts with Final Fantasy 1. And when kind of deciding which Final Fantasy to do next, I always kind of had it in my mind to do Final Fantasy 4. Because I didn't want to just jump around too much. Even though the benefit of Final Fantasy is that you can do that. Final Fantasy 4 has always been an easy one to go with. Because there's that question that sometimes comes up, especially now with Twitch and YouTube and the idea that I've never played a Final Fantasy game. Which, again, coming from this genre is very foreign to me. But when people ask, which one did you play? Obviously, the question is Final Fantasy VII. And I'm like, no. I like Final Fantasy VII, but it's not the easily easy accessible one. The setting is, because it's a modern setting, but it's its own thing. It's more reminiscent of Six, and honestly, Six's mechanics aren't the best. Uh, I've heard that criticism lately, and I, I understand that. Um, to me, there are a few answers. Obviously, the most recent one, or the, you know, the the graphic one, you know, I talk about 16 or whatever, or 15 later, but to me, there's always two choices. Three, if you count Final Fantasy VI, but that's my favorite one, so I'm obviously going to pick it, but I don't know if that one is always the most accessible. It's the easiest one to play, but, you know, bar for me to say it, but in terms of bare bones, you're coming into something blind, you have no concept of what you're doing, you've vaguely heard of Final Fantasy, what do you do? Well, the first one always seems really wonky because it's the first one. It's very slow. It's a dungeon crawl. If that's the type of game you're into, great. Final Fantasy 2, it's dark. It's got more story in it, but the dungeons and the game design are crap. They took an idea. It's much like Final Fantasy VIII. They have good ideas, but the execution is all over the place, and it doesn't work. So I definitely say no. Final Fantasy III would be a good choice because of the battle system and the job system, but ugh, the ending of Final Fantasy III is rough. So I always kind of tell people, if you're very new and you need a newish experience, you go with Final Fantasy X. Because you have voice acting, you have an amazing story, you have snappy combat. The sphere grid's a bit slow, but it makes absolute sense because you're going step by step by step by step. If you want the pinnacle of really basic, really just what is a JRPG from the 80s and 90s, what is something that's not going to let you down, you know, not going to, you know, wow you, but it's still an amazing experience though, you go with Final Fantasy IV. And it's held up because that is exactly what Final Fantasy IV is. It is the pinnacle of that early, like, we're doing the jobs, but we're not, like, giving you full free reign like five, but we are still following the same staple crystals story almost to its nth degree. So... Because 5 didn't get the U.S. release, it tends to get overlooked, 4 did not. 4 was Final Fantasy 2. 
in the U.S., and that's where I got it. I remember my brother's friend had it way back in 1992. I was only about seven or eight years old. I popped in a disc, and I think I was in the um, underground... Yeah, I want to say I was in the underground um, waterway, you know, with the fucking octopus boss. Those are my earliest memories of the game. So not even having any context, Final Fantasy 2, Final Fantasy 3, or Final Fantasy 4, Final Fantasy 6 were my earliest memories of playing Final Fantasy in those early years. I didn't have it. I played stuff like Mario and Punch-Out and stuff, which is great, but knowing what I know now about who I am, it's kind of weird that my first experience playing Final Fantasy was just randomly at some dude's house. You know, I had no concept of Final Fantasy. So even then, I didn't. I, I knew what Final Fantasy was, which led me to Final Fantasy VII later, obviously. But as far as Final Fantasy IV goes, it stands the test of time if you want something basic. The random battles, the job classes that are static, the fighting on the screen. The story is all over the place. And in some respects, kind of stupid and whatever, but it works because the characters work. The reason Final Fantasy 1 through 3 don't work is that the characters don't work. And even in 3, when they tried to remake it, when they gave them characters, there's only so much you could do with a basic plot line with that. 4, to a small extent, 2, because people were dying a lot... 4 was the first time you actually had characters going through intense stuff. And a lot of that has to do with the main characters and a lot of... You know, you get your side characters in there. The weird thing about Final Fantasy 4 is there's a lot of side characters. And I'm, I'm going to bounce around here and there because I'm going to be talking about the after years. So expect a slightly longer episode than I have been doing. But... um. Final Fantasy IV, for its time, and even today, still hold up because of Cecil, Rydia, Kane, to a lesser extent, Young, uh, Rosa, and whatnot. But the, the balls it took to do some of the stuff they did with some of the characters is pretty good. Because, and we'll go through the through the story, so if you haven't played the game... You're going to get a little spoiled here and there. But Cecil was on a mission to reclaim a crystal, or steal it, basically, from Missidia. He starts questioning it, gets thrown out of his post. Kane jumps him, joins him, and they both get both get wrecked. They go to a city called Mist, filled with summoners. They unleash a package with a bomb in it. That ends up blowing up that fucking town. But unbeknownst to them, the first boss they fought was actually a mist dragon belonging to uh, Rydia's mother. So they, in essence, killed a little child's mother. And I've said this before on streams or Twitch, whatever, you know, or maybe when I was playing Final Fantasy X, I might have mentioned it. But Rydia is one of, if not my favorite character in Final Fantasy history. Because of the shit that she goes through as a small child, having to be protected from this person who is trying to repent. The early part of Final Fantasy IV is Cecil repenting 
and Rydia dealing with it. Now, it's on a, a surface level, sure, but Cain is gone. Rydia has basically torn everybody asunder out of grief, and she doesn't have a mom anymore. It's just it's the balls on this game to do that, and when you see that, you just in awe, especially in the early 90s of a story like that, because you had stuff like Final Fantasy 1 to this point. You had fun, I mean, Final Fantasy 3 to an extent had that, but, um, you know, Legend of Zelda didn't have that. They had go fight Ganon. They had Super Mario World, go fight Bowser. This is a mother is dying, and this child is in grief. So they keep on going. And Cecil ends up finding his his then girlfriend, soon to be wife Rosa. She joins the party as a white mage because he always need those. The unfortunate thing with Rosa is she's just just there, you know. She's Cecil's love interest, and you can hold that against the game. I certainly do. As great as Rydia is, Rosa gets kind of nothing. Um, but couple dungeons go by, Cecil ends up in the place that he has stolen the crystal from. Everybody hates him. What does he do? He goes and becomes a paladin. So he turns from this dark knight who's done all these evil things, and then he becomes a paladin. In a, in a cool idea, the cool idea is you've gone through this crazy-ass boss fight with this elemental fiend of doom, and then you still have to fight another pseudo-boss, and the idea is you're not fighting at all. You have to guard for every turn and potentially die because yourself is kicking your ass. <laughs> but you become a paladin, and you become the character that you're going to be, this king that's taking back the throne. Turns out that these uh, elemental demons have taken refuge, and they're taking everything, and they're after the crystals. So stuff keeps happening. Cain comes back under the auspices of Golbez, who is supposedly the main villain of the piece. As has been shown, he keeps fucking with the party, fucking with the party over and over. You go through tons of different places. And, and I like the fact that Final Fantasy IV goes from overworld to underworld, and then even into fucking space. You're chasing after Golbez because he's doing this crazy shit known as the Tower of Babel. And he's got the elemental fiends on his side, and you find out that he's a he's a space demon guy, and he was actually Cecil's brother. What really lets it down, though, is that the underworld has its own set of crystals, and then the space places has another set of crystals. I remember somebody saying it was like 17 or 20 or something crazy like that. It's a bit much. Especially since the last game just went with dark crystals and dark warriors and shit. So you had four, you had eight crystals already. Then you have 16 to seven. It, there's too fucking much. So then Final Fantasy IV decides to just break them all. <laughs> just break all the crystals and it's just like, fuck it. And then Final Fantasy VI says, we're not doing crystals again for a while. So they go a bit nuts with the crystal idea. And it turns out that Golbez and Kane were both mind controlled. Oh boy. So the final boss is some dork and it's really odd Final Fantasy 4 is really odd because I want to like it because of the stuff that they build up very early 
but then it really fucking fails at the end because you're doing this whole space gimmick. You're doing this whole mind control gimmick. Kane gets mind controlled twice out of nowhere just because just because Rosa is with Cecil and he wants her, which is fine. They dig into it enough, but you kind of never feel like Rosa's actually that into him other than being a friend, you know, a childhood friend. And it, it, Sure, the, the jealousy angle is a really cool angle, but they don't, like, it's still too early for them to explore it. Especially when you contrast that with Rydia, what she went through. You're just not going to compete with that. But it's more so than that. It's the stupid idea that Golbez is this main villain guy until he's not. Because they pull that trick in several other Final Fantasies, and sometimes they've gotten away with it. But they pulled that shit in Final Fantasy 3. They get away from it in the next few Final Fantasies, thank fucking Christ. But they still do it, you know. And it is a crutch. It is a crutch to not just give a person... A, it, it's one thing if it's a second form. It's another if you're basically giving yourself another final boss when you've already spent half the game saying this is going to be the main bad guy. Or at least, if they're at the end dungeon, it's less problematic. But Golbez isn't even at the end dungeon. He's at the... Like, you fight him once. And then it's kind of done. He shows up here and there, and then it's just Zemus. And who is Zemus? This evil moon guy. Did they say why? No, he's an evil moon guy. He doesn't, he just destroyed it. So that's part of the problem with Final Fantasy IV is the story, after a certain point, doesn't make a lot of sense. But then after that, you have just, you have this issue where character deaths kind of don't mean anything. So I was talking about Rydia's mother dying. She stays dead, unfortunately, because it forms Rydia's backstory and her front story. How does she deal with that grief? But you get several fuck tons of party members and almost all of them have to die to justify getting a new main character. Cecil jumps out, or Sid jumps out of an airplane, blows himself up. He's not dead. Edward gets swallowed up by Leviathan. He's not dead. Young gets conked in the head and blown up in a fucking tower. He's not dead. Palm and Porum turn themselves to stone. Nope, they're fine. It, they come up at the... It's just some like, Hey, we're all fine! Let's do the thing! It's like, really? At least Final Fantasy II had the balls to keep everybody dead. So it cheapens out its own story. And, I mean, it's a... It's one of those, like, great happy ending kind of things, but how does that work? How did everybody survive, though? It makes no sense. So, again, the story kind of goes on its merry way. Um, there's also some weird gimmick dungeons that don't work so good. Um, the Underworld only has a couple of dungeons in it other than the Tower of Babel, and their whole thing is damage floors, so you can't do them until Rose is at a certain level. Otherwise, you risk a shit ton of damage and healing yourself. So that's kind of annoying. The worst dungeon, and I'm sure anybody can mention this and guess it, is the Magnetic Cave. 
where if you wear anything magnetic or steel, you're paralyzed. Oh, that's fun. That's a great gimmick. It's not as like egregious as the Dungeons and Three where you have to use a certain job to do a thing, but you're essentially nerfing your attack power just to get through a stupid dungeon for thematic purposes. It's a nice idea, but in execution, it just becomes one of my most dreaded spots in the game because you're basically taking what Cecil can do and nerfing him to oblivion just to tell a small-scale story. It's not even like Golbez. It's some dude in some cave holding some crystal. It's it's held together by the fact that Golbez and Kane are forcing you to go there, but it's also stupid. That being said, what are the good things about Final Fantasy IV? Well, I mentioned it. Riddy is fucking amazing. Cecil's freaking amazing. Those two stories kind of hold you, grip you in the early part of the game, and then it, they they slow it down. Like I said, the story ends up letting it go, but they get your hooks into you early, within the first hour to two hours. Like, if this game doesn't hook you in two hours, it's not going to, because Cecil, as a Dark Knight, is tormented and just stricken with grief because Rydia has been stricken with grief. He's lost his friend in the in the mess, so he doesn't know if his friend is there. He doesn't know where Rosa is, his, you know, love interest, so he's got to track, track her down. So Cecil and Rydia kind of hold the game together in different spots, and you just want to see them succeed because they've been through so much shit. So... They kind of hold the game together when other characters are kind of just there to fill out a party, um, like a party dynamic. Like Yong is the is the monk. You've got Sid as the I bash dudes, but I'm also Sid, so I work on airships. You know that sort of thing. Then you have some sages. Then you have some mages. Then you have some other you know people. It's a weird roster rollout because this was before Final Fantasy VI where you could change your party. So they did constantly change party rotation, which is a nice idea, but it's also a bit wonky, especially when it's a made-heavy loadout. Until you get to the end game where you have a couple of mages and then three mainline fighters, and that's a good balance for this game because you have five characters to work with. But the battle system's simple. The battle system works because it's Final Fantasy at its earliest, just straightforward fun. It doesn't have the uniqueness and diversity of 5 and 6, but much like Final Fantasy 9 later, like you're stuck with battle classes and you know what Kane's going to do. He's going to smack and he's going to jump. You know what Cecil's going to do. He's going to smack and he's going to heal. You know what is going to do. And she has some versatility in doing damage, but she's a weaker mage class. Rosa can fight a little if you give her the right setup, but she heals. There's something, just something satisfying about knowing, okay, I don't have to build these characters. I just have to change it around based on which of these characters are in my party. It's almost like the randomizer setup where you kind of know based on who you end up getting what your attack pattern or your strategy is going to be. You don't have to fuck around with the formula if you know it works, and Final Fantasy IV works. It's also the beginning of the ATB system. So the ATB 
is Final Fantasy doing this crazy shit they're doing now, way back in 92. So apparently some guy who was going on to make Final uh, Secret of Mana, was working on Final Fantasy IV, said he didn't want to work on the turn-based battles that they'd done from 1 through 3. So he ended up working on the development team, or even creating the battle system of Secret of Mana, which is nice, but, you know, mana's wrought with its own issues. But I've said that before. So you know Final Fantasy's been doing this shit for years. It just came to a head over the last 20, and specifically every time they release a game. But whatever. As far as old-school Final Fantasy goes, you still have the ATB system. What that means is battles can kind of go free-flowing and have some tension. And I get where they're going for, especially early on. I think later, when they when they quicken the battle pace, the criticism of, oh my god, there's no tension because you can just change your rounds. No, you have strategy. You know you have this like inherent fear that, oh, they're going to use a thing and they're going to do it. So they end up not doing it, and you just go, oh. But in the next turn... You have to pre-plan everything you're doing so the next turn happens. With an ATB, while I understand that, hey, cool, it's a lot more hectic and you got to move fast and you got to move snappy, it'll work great for casual fans. In essence, what it does is it makes a lot of fights cheesy and frustrating. I remember watching a fight um, with one of the later bosses known as Plague where its whole mechanic is they instantly kill you if you go down to 10. So you have to wait and wait and wait. He's also trying to do moves too, where you're trying to plan out when to heal so that he refreshes his fucking death counter. Otherwise, everybody dies. Cool mechanic, but really kind of dumb in execution because you're having to fight. And this was, again, part of a randomizer. He had fucking dudes or notably warrior chicks, basically, warrior women, fighting you off. So not only do you have to contend with this death counter bullshit as a mechanic, you have to worry that those things are just going to eat you alive and, you know, waste your waste your health regardless. So yes, it's hectic. And again, that was part of a mod. It was part of a randomizer kind of setup. So it's harder. But it's also hard to try and plan something when a boss can potentially do a move. And then before you have time to think of what your move is, he does another move. So your move is out of the window. That's cool in a hectic sense, but it's bad in a strategic sense. I've always felt that if you have a strategy in mind, a turn-based battle is fine, especially when the characters are snappy enough. I don't think turn-based ever bothered me. And I don't think ATB does. I think it's the fact that inherently Final Fantasy has decided themselves that either ATB or turn-based is done and that there's no enjoyment to be had from that, which kind of is funny because when you look at Persona and Yakuza, they don't have that problem. Trails from the Sky doesn't have, or Trails of Cold Steel doesn't have that problem. Um, You know, so... Maybe, maybe, oh my god, we gotta make everything, everybody happy, because they play action games, but whatever, I'm not, I'm, you see my point, Final Fantasy 4 is that kind of good balance, but because it's an early game, the ATB is a bit of a, bit of a wonky setup, because, you know, if you get the right version, it's pretty fucking difficult, the SNES version is easy, 
So you're not as threatened, but especially for the final boss, you're going to always feel like, oh my God, what are you doing? Or if you're fighting a certain boss that counters you every turn and you're trying to plan something out and then he just counters you and then you're dead. It's just like, well, fuck, you know, that's what they're going for. But if it was me, I would prefer having the strategy of anticipating what his move is before he actually does it so that if I fuck up, it's because I chose the wrong move, not because I wasn't fast enough to click the button so he used it like turn extra on me. That's the risk you run with an ATB system is he used two extra turns when I'm trying to think through one of them. So there's always that wait function. Because when you use the wait feature, you can just go back to pseudo turn-based. Anyway, but the battles are simple. The battles are fine. The battles work. And... It's the implementation of ATB, which is take or leave. I think in the early games, it's not as great because they don't have the ATB bar, so you don't know who's going to come up until you see their setup. Until you see what moves they do, then you know who's going. But as a start of the ATB system, and at least keeping with the ATB system for six games, going forward, it's it makes sense. It turned Final Fantasy into a pseudo-action game but still had enough of the strategy involved that the old-school Final Fantasy stuff from the first three games didn't lose its luster. It's a very reminiscent game of three and its systems and its look, to be honest. Um, the other thing I want to mention before going into the after years is the music. Oh my god, this music is so good. I'm not saying Final Fantasy IV has the best, but it certainly has a high-tier amount of songs that work and it starts and ends really strongly the red wings theme the first thing you hear in the game is this pulse pounding militaristic just show of strength and show of power done in a kind of just drums and horns and just really sets the tone that these guys are a military force and power and they're coming to wreck face You've got the opening prelude theme. As Kane and Cecil walk out, you get a variation on the Final Fantasy I theme again with a with a scrawl of text. So they're bringing that back. You've got um, all the battle themes that are great. So the, the normal battle theme is good. The boss battle theme is widely considered one of the best. The, f the f uh, fight with the four fiends is probably my favorite, favorite song. Um... The final, ba the final battle theme with Zeromas is really fucking good. All of the battle themes are really good. Rosa and Rydia both have themes, and both of them show off softer, tender moments. The Troya castle theme with harps and all this cool stuff going on. Again, subtle theming, because you have all the pulse-pounding crazy shit when you're with Cecil, but then when you're slowing shit down and dealing with Rydia, Rosa, or if you're going to Troya, you get a moment of peace. Other places you get, like, the dwarves have a cool, like, bombastic theme to their own in the underworld. Yang gets a kind of pseudo-Asian uh, theme, like a Shaolin monk, because he's a Shaolin monk kind of dude. Everything seems to fit, and I think what works best for Final Fantasy IV and they failed with five was focusing kind of bassy bass heavy like the mix of the sound chip for this is a lot of bass heavy stuff a lot of lower instrumentation 
and it just feels like it has a darker sensibility. Five tended to go a lot brighter and lighter, and outside of some songs, was very finicky and didn't really hold my interest too much, and didn't really have like a like a thick sound to it. I'd say Final Fantasy VI did, and I'd say Final Fantasy IV did. And when I mean thick, I mean just substantial sounding in terms of what the music is going for. Like, everything feels weighty to it, because Final Fantasy IV itself feels very weighty. And the cool thing about Final Fantasy IV, and this also to its detriment, is that it has so many good ideas, but it doesn't really finish the job. It doesn't really stick the landing, because they're trying to do too many things. But when you get into it, you stick with it because the characters are there and you think, okay, I want to see these people succeed because they are such strong characters. They're strong-willed. Final Fantasy IV was the first time that the characters themselves told you a story rather than the game belting you out a story about crystals. It still does that, but it also told you a story about the characters going through their own struggles and their own mishaps. And Cecil and Rydia make up for the rest of the cast. Kane to an extent, but he goes off a doofy subplot. And, you know, Rosa's just kind of there. But again, even as an accessory to Cecil, she still has a place. Is it perfect? No. But I think Final Fantasy IV is well regarded. And it doesn't matter which version you play. You could play the SNES version if you want an easier time. You could play the Anthology version. Or I believe it's the Chronicles version. I believe it's Final Fantasy Chronicles that had 4 and Chrono Trigger. From the PlayStation 1 era. Um, any of the... Any of the PSP remakes and other stuff, any Steam remakes, my personal favorite, despite how fucking hard it was, was the DS version. So you have the old staple uh, anime and video game crew, like Yuri Lowenthal, Karen Strassman, uh, Stephanie Shea, people I've talked about for about a year on this channel as like anime and video game staple voice actors. They were actually asked to provide voice acting in cutscenes. And you even get to hear that sort of emotion in there. So you get full-on cutscenes of this game that you've held up for 10 or 15 years. And now you get to see it in full-on action. The, the animations are wonky because it is a like pseudo 3D. But again, having the allure of these characters in 3D, being able to see and hear and listen to their thoughts, and being able to listen to them act out these scenes is really fucking good. Um, you just have to contend with the game part being really fucking difficult because the bosses have specific counters for moves like paralyzing gas or a high-end damage move every fucking turn. So the DS version is really difficult, but it's my preference because of the extra additions to the formula. Some people swear by the PSP version. I also, you know retooling for this i rewatched that one and I, I would say that one is pretty good as well as far as translation it's faithful um obviously early on you're not going to have the best translation for the moves and stuff so a psp version on a steam version or a ds version on a steam version is a great choice what is not a good choice 
is Final Fantasy The After Years. And I'll explain why. So, a little bit of a refresher. Final Fantasy IV had been re-released and retooled and redone and revamped. But I guess in, in Japan, Final Fantasy IV is like more well-regarded than it is here. And, you know, because everybody has their tastes, I think. Everybody knows Final Fantasy VII is the big one. Everybody knows Final Fantasy VIII is kind of the doofy one, but it's still popular. Final Fantasy IX is the well-regarded, loved one, but nobody gives a shit of it compared to Seven, which is a fucking shame. But um, anything recent, Japan seems to have a fondness for. I remember when Final Fantasy XIII came out and they loved Lightning and everybody else was just like, no, <laughs> no, what the fuck are you talking about? Um, you know, so recency bias being what it is. But I think Final Fantasy X has kind of taken that, oh my God, everybody loves it sense Final Fantasy 6 is well regarded as like one of the best games ever and not everybody believes that but in most cases it's either 6 or 10 if people don't mention 7 they mention 6 or 10 4 for whatever reason is also well regarded to me it's probably top 5 you know 5 or 6 whatever reason around like mid 2000s there was this rush by Square to just re-release and remake and retool Final Fantasy IV. I'm guessing for the Japanese market. Specifically, the Japanese mobile market. And I remember that when the After Years came out, they used to do it in pseudo-releases, almost like how they're doing Final Fantasy Remake now, but on a much longer term development scale and a much shorter runtime. So what they ended up doing was they would release like a specific chapter. It would be like monthly mobile DLC or, you know, uh quarterly monthly DLC for a story. You'd get this guy has a story, so he gets a release. This person has a story, so they get a release. It ended up being a like six or seven separate sub stories and then the finale, which all told you know, 20, 30 hours more Final Fantasy IV. If that's what you like, that's good. It's more Final Fantasy IV and more time with the characters that you get and you like and you enjoy. Having gone back and rewatched it because I didn't have access to Final Fantasy IV the after years, I can safely say never play it, you don't really need to play it. I like the idea of, especially now, where we're in this whole legacy push, where, like, the kids of a certain character are doing their own campaign, and the old characters are still around, because we're getting that a lot lately. We're doing the, oh my god, we're remaking Ghostbusters, but we're making it for a younger audience, so we're making the old school guys hold out, but we've got a new set of characters, you know, that sort of thing. So, a legacy push. You know, Marvel is into that second tier or third tier of characters now, so they're starting to have protégés of the old, you know, Avengers. That sort of setup. Same idea here. So instead of Cecil and Rosa having their own adventure, you have Seador learning to be a knight, not because he's the, you know, heir apparent, but because he wants to make his parents proud, but he doesn't want to live in their shadow. So that's his story. You've got other stories like Rydia and Rosa, uh, Rydia and Luca, who was a dwarven princess. Um, 
Rydia notices something with the Adelons going on. The whole crux of the story tends to be several different machinations going on to steal the Adelons' power in order to destroy the world as we know it. So a lot of meteors are crashing on the planet, and you see these mysterious girls, super-powered girls who've taken the Adelon's powers for themselves. And Rydia runs away, other characters are running away, Cecil apparently get it in getting mind-fucked and out of nowhere by this girl. And everybody's run away and done the thing, and, and you're kind of doing other side stories. I think Palum and Porum do their own separate things. I know Palum is a little dick in the first in the first game. He's even worse than this in this game. But he his whole story is he's helping train a person from Troya and, you know, she wants to save the world. So they, you know, go to this fuck off tower or whatever and they start to become an item or become friends or whatever, you know. So you get stuff that isn't directly related to the plot, but still sidetracking the plot a little bit. Um, Edward himself, the fuck-off bard in the first game that gets absolutely shit on because he's a fucking bard, ends up not being too much of a dick. He actually ends up having to be resourceful and smart, and he ends up accounting himself really well. Um, a lot of the cool mechanics of these stories of changing characters around and using different characters, but still throwing out the legacy characters if they need to, to give you an extra edge in the battles. That's perfectly fine. I don't mind these little side stories. What I minded was the structure of the game was they were giving you the flimsiest excuse possible to revisit and redo the dungeons from Final Fantasy IV. Not even so much Final Fantasy X-2's approach where they just reused the map and then they had you, like, redo a fucking fight or whatever. This is reusing the map, but, re like, giving you absolutely, like, no new story and no new... They basically took Final Fantasy X-2 and put it in the Final Fantasy IV universe without the goofy Charlie's Angels aspect. So the idea is Palom wants to go to some place, but he takes whomever and they go to the fucking Dragon Waterway and they, and they fight the, the octopus. Did they have to? No. It's the same fucking fight. It's, it's, it's silly. So some of these excuses make sense. You have to travel through a certain dungeon to do a thing. So, oh my God, we're back in the dungeon. Remember that dungeon we did 20 years ago? We're back at it, you know. And sometimes you have a different boss. Sometimes you don't. And... It's kind of a pick and choose. Sometimes you get the best approach where a, a legacy character is having to learn that his daughter is actually pretty fucking strong and they should just do whatever the fuck they want to do. Other times it's, we just need an excuse to go to a place. I remember talking about Palom earlier. They end up getting accosted by the mysterious girl and the idea was, hey, we need to throw this crystal into this place and then we're going to find this place. It's a flimsy-ass excuse to go back into the magnetic cave. I'm like, I don't want to go to the magnetic cave. It was stupid in the original. Why are you making me go through this fucking place? So you combat having to relearn all these stories by having to go through the game part of the fucking game, which is fine. They add some cool stuff like the waxing and waning of the moon changes what skills. Like you can strengthen your attack, but at the cost of your white magic. Or you can use bonds to do extra damage. Cool ideas. But does it need the skin of Final Fantasy IV to do it, though? 
when it really comes into play and really starts to falter is the end though when you're done with all of the separate side stories and you've got your 10 to 15 different characters have done all of their journeys your final dungeon is the lunar subterranea again and it's not just a lunar subterranea again after that after the 10 or 15 floors of the lunar subterranea that you've done in final fantasy well not just that here's why it's even worse now that i'm remembering it you do the lunar subterranea at the end of final fantasy 4 to get to zeromas in final fantasy 4's the after years you have to go up through the lunar subterranea in one of the sub stories to finish off the game once you get done with it into the crystal section the final dungeon re-includes the lunar subterranea again so you've already been through it to climb out of the fucking thing just to come back to the fucking thing and then after that you go into what's known as the subterranean depths which in of itself is a 20 to 30 level dungeon but what's in this dungeon you might ask well it's the characters talking amongst themselves after every major boss fight well what are the major bosses in there is it something special is it something cool is it something hard no it's bosses from final fantasy 1 bosses from final fantasy 6 bosses from final fantasy 5 <laughs> it's lazy it's very lazy it's very dumb they went for as flimsy an excuse as they could to recreate a lot of the stuff from Final Fantasy IV. Yeah, much like Final Fantasy X-2 in a less stupidly fun way. Say what you want about Final Fantasy X-2, but it's stupid fun for the sake of being stupid fun. But at least it feels like it's its own different game. Final Fantasy IV The After Years doesn't even have that excuse. It's a very threadbare addition to the battle system with a lot of dlc baked in to make you do things you've already done which is gonna you know kind of frustrating so my end goal my end takeaway is final fantasy 4 as a property is great final fantasy 4 after use as a property is fucking garbage but you don't have to play it nobody has to play it only play it if you really want to do the legacy push thing. But I guarantee you it's not nearly as good as it thinks it is. And, you know, because again, Final Fantasy IV isn't as great as I want it to be. But it has so much good stuff going for it and it's so simple that if anybody's going to play a Final Fantasy game and get the first time feel, you do Final Fantasy X or Final Fantasy IV. I personally say Final Fantasy VI just because it's my favorite, but even I recognize that it's its own kind of thing, and it would it would. I don't think it feels like an old school Final Fantasy game enough to give you that old school Final Fantasy feel. It's trying to do its own modern take before it went fully modernized with cutscenes and graphics and things, and modern, relatively speaking. But Final Fantasy IV is as close to that old school, old school as you're going to get, but with the quality of life that wasn't seen in Final Fantasy I, wasn't seen in Final Fantasy II, wasn't seen in Final Fantasy III. Final Fantasy IV is the good enough Final Fantasy game. You get what you're getting, and you love what you get. 
Or if it's not for you, then you can try 10 and maybe you like the more modernized voice acting, snappier combat, and character-driven narrative. Because Final Fantasy X is a better game. But if you're looking for a pure, old-school JRPG from those 80s and 90s periods, Final Fantasy IV is very serviceable, very fun, very good, and has some good characters in there to justify its existence. So I think anybody willing to try Final Fantasy should give Final Fantasy IV a shot. But that will do it for me this week. And as stated, next week is going to be the one-year podcast anniversary. So it'll be a rundown of how my channel has been going. And honestly, it's been on a high lately. Um, I've been getting way more subscribers lately. Maybe not for the second channel, but for my main gameplay channel, things have definitely started working. Um, and it's it's been a good run of things, I think. And I'm very pleased with that. Um, so I'll run down things. I'll run down like personal pet peeves and whatever. I'll go into more depth of the Final Fantasy thing because, of course, I'm going to have to. But, you know, to kind of make some points as to what I'm looking for as games in general and what I'm doing these days. Um, so think of it as a rundown of the channel, what my personal thoughts are, what my personal pet peeves and fun things about games and anime are. Just a whole fun, you know, half hour to an hour of just me just talking shit. Not anything specific. Um, after that should be Castlevania Aria and Dawn of Sorrow. Um, really fun, really cool. By that time, I should be done with Spy X Family's Core 1, so I should be able to review that. I'm really looking forward to that as well. And... I'm going to review Tales of Arise. So we're into that phase where we're re-reviewing, like we're going back into franchises and digging more out of them. So next week will be Tales of Arise. I remember reviewing Tales of Berseria as I was playing Tales of Arise. I had finished Tales of Arise, and I'm going to kind of reintroduce myself with it and replay it for the channel, but I'm also going to review it for this. So... I have a lot to say about about Tales of Arise. A lot good, some bad, but overall, a fun experience. But that'll do it for me, and I'll see you guys next week. Citizen Strife, signing off.